0: Welcome to the One Size Does Not Fit All podcast. I'm Kat Vitu and the founder of the World Life Tribe and I co-host this show with the lovely Liberty. And together we meet the most inspiring people that are here to give you tools to live a life where
1: you will thrive. Bon Raw makes it easy for you to sweeten naturally with minimum effort and zero compromise with their delicious range of raw and unrefined organic sugars. Bon Raw is better for you and the planet. Find Bon Raw's Silver Birch, Panela, and Coconut Blossom at Waitrose. Hi, welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with me, Liberty. And as always, I'm joined by my lovely Kat. Hi, Kat, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. What's new? Uh, well, what have I been
0: doing? Oh, so I went to the pub again yesterday as a non drinker. Because I am a non drinker, as I always say, I went to the pub, but I don't actually drink, but I did. It was really nice to be out. It was my husband's birthday. um, We all had a fact. Do you know, all of us just said it was just so nice to be out. And I'm very happy not to cook on a Monday night, actually. (sighs) So I was like, special for me. And it was your birthday, but it's special for me. Um, And I felt good, like sitting outside. It was sunny um yeah so um enjoying that we can kind of get back out and just it felt really normal and for a Monday night it was absolutely packed so I was just like really really cool yeah, but we had to put deposit down on our table to um <gasps> to have this kind of nice meal so yeah it was really good um and we all just you know really sort of tucked in celebrated his birthday um which was good his birthday is uh, clearly we need something because we keep we've been celebrating it since Saturday. <laughs> whatever we can um and it was like officially yesterday um, and he kept having a go at me because everything not having a go at me he's like why did you put my age on everything you're like happy 47th birthday God, happy 47th birthday and everything was about the number of and he was like why'd you keep because you told me you can't remember how old you are so i put it on everything
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a nice local then that you go to, near know, your house? Yeah, well, that's the funny thing
0: because I moved in lockdown and nothing was open. Yeah, so I've never been to it until like the last two weeks. So I've moved somewhere where there were, I've never been to any of the shops. I've never been to any restaurants or pubs or anything. Um, so the really nice thing is like in the last couple of weeks, I've just been like um, discovering all these new shops you know and nice coffee shops and then going to you know going to the pub kind of thing just to kind of see what's around me so it's really nice actually because I've been here like three months now and um, Uh. you know it's crazy like suddenly I've got all these lovely new things so it's a really nice discovery and I'm really enjoying it it's good it's um so yeah that's good Um, and then yeah back to doing a workout today and then work and stuff because I've set up this new kind of self-care group for all my clients now because I must be a bit lazier but basically I'm just like I think we all huddle together and do a new group so I've got this little self-care group where I do cooking all the things that I do separately normally I'm like let's just yeah. do it all together <laughs> so, so. cooking in it and then self-care and then have special guest experts and all this kind of stuff so that's been sort of busy side of it but it's good
1: Busy, busy. How unusual for you to be so busy, Cat? Is actually <laughs> no, it's not. I'm
0: <laughs> yeah, very good at like lying down. <laughs> yes, although I do do my meditation journaling. That's part of my yeah. routine. I bought a new journaling book today. I'm feeling really like oh, everything's going on well at the moment. You know, like just sort of keeping myself busy. But you know, I've got my positivity hat on. And mm. I, had, I, had, I have had appointments and stuff like that so I'm doing all of that in between but they're all good all the people are lovely at my hospital and stuff so yeah all good oh it sounds like
1: you're in a really nice organized place unlike me at my house um I've been feeling really um like I had it all together and I was like wow I'm really bossing this and then the kids went back to school and I almost relaxed too much and now I'm just like a slob so I'm trying to, like, gather everything back together again because uh, I went to the, I've went i actually been to the gym this morning and that was really good. I really didn't want to go, but I went and I feel amazing now. And also, I usually come back from the gym and I just walk around stinking and just, like, carry on for the rest of the day. And I actually had a bath, put some Epsom salts in it and stuff. So I'm feeling doubly not disgusting. Check me out. <laughs> But, yeah. say again sorry got your brother harry Kondo over yeah harry Kondo is still here we did a little uh <laughs> i am just the queen of procrastination so we cleared out all this stuff that he made me throw away and then i put it in bags ready to take to the charity shop and just piled it up in the hallway <laughs> and i had no plans to move it but harry condo loaded up my car so I couldn't get my dogs in there to take them out to the to where we normally walk on the school run and I was like oh how am I gonna get the dogs in he's like how about you actually drop the stuff off you idiot so <laughs> Harry Kondo got in my car yesterday and um forced me I just find stuff like that really and I hate going I hate going to places and asking them to take my staff so I was like um I'll the driving you do the talking he's like hello he said all oh, the little old ladies were so sweet and so they were loving him so he was going in there and he was like uh, dropping off all the little bits and bobs and they loved him so it worked really well and now all my stuff has gone out of my house I could have opened my own charity shop with all the stuff so he's really motivating it's so weird he went to America 20 years ago one person and he's come back a completely different one he's very organized like, very tidy yeah I'm like I guess 20 years you change a lot he was 20 when he left and he's nearly 40 but um I just thought he was still like a bit of a no bit of a student and he's a he's a real man he's also single so if anybody out there wants to marry my brother let me know um
0: talking of keeping fit um A lady who I absolutely love, actually. Um, And it's funny, actually, because today's guest is somebody I met on Facebook, I think. I don't know how that happened, but it did. And we were just sort of, you know, ended up having chats. Um, She's really inspiring. What I do love about um, today's guest is that she's, she's very honest as well. And all of the stuff that she's had to go through, she really knows her stuff because of it and has is helping so many people including our lovely Dina is on her um, one of her programs as well so I'm going to let you introduce her.
1: Today's guest is Vicky Midwood Vicky is an alcohol addiction and disordered eating eliminator and um, before I forget to say this I have not met Vicky before I've met her for a couple of minutes just now but I have been on her Instagram and I encourage all of you to go on her Instagram because Vicky, you just look like the most fun person ever. It's such a pleasure to meet you. How are you?
2: <laughs> thank you so much, Liberty. Same to you.
1: Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's so lovely to have you on here. Mostly because, like Kat says, you, you've you been there. Um, You've been through so much and you've come to this incredible place, like so many amazing people do in 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 wellness, which is something I've come to learn and, and, and why I love so much working with Kat. The most amazing people um, come to a career in wellness because of their own experience. Um, is that, can you tell us anything about, uh, as much as you're happy to share, about, about how you came to be in wellness?
2: Totally by accident, really, as often is the case where we fall into these things, not knowing that that's going to be what we end up doing. And um, so for me, I, I started um, with disordered eating when I was a teenager and um, all my friends went on diets as everybody kind of does when you're sort of 12, 13 and you starting to be aware of boys and your body and what's acceptable and what's not. And um, all of my friends did too, and they did really, really well. And could stick to it, and we're getting results. And I couldn't, I couldn't stick to it, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, of course, I assumed there was something wrong with me, and mm-hmm. so I discovered that I could make myself sick. Um, so I would not stick to the diet. I would try, but I would fail, and and then I would get rid of it, and that became a pattern uh, that I stuck to for a long, long time, um, to the point where. I was struggling with other things like laxatives and exercising way too much. And so it seems ridiculous that I found myself becoming a fitness instructor. (laughs) But subconsciously, I guess I was drawn to that because it legitimately gave me a reason to be OTT about how I looked and and to exercise. And um, I actually, it was my first husband, we weren't married at the time, who bought me as a birthday present a week's membership in our local town's health club, right? And I went on different days, well, every day, (laughs) because it was only a week, and went to all the different classes. And um, it seemed to be the same lady who was teaching the classes. And they all had sort of different names. And I didn't really understand how they were that much different, to be honest. And because at that age, I was so arrogant and so full of myself. My brain was going, I can do what she does. And I can do it better. <laughs> so I ended up having a conversation. She came over to me and she said, um, are you a dancer? And I was like, no, uh, but I do enjoy kind of pretending that I can dance. And we got chatting and I just said, how do you get to do what you do? And she said, well, you, if you go on this course, it's a, it's a weekend for a year. And I'm like, a year, I'm not taking a year. So I went into the library to find out how I could find a course that was faster sorry library we didn't we didn't have internet back then <laughs> So, and I had to pick up the telephone and make some make some calls what? yeah I know uh, old-fashioned old school so I'm talking back in the 90, 1990s this so I got on this course in London which it would be the equivalent now of today's personal trainer and exercise to music course. Personal training wasn't even a thing then; it didn't even it didn't exist as a thing. Yeah. Um, but that's what the course was. And in my arrogance, I didn't realise you had to be interviewed. I was just like, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm ready. Where, when do I?
2: Where do I start? <laughs> so I did this course, and I literally, uh, my brother had a friend whose mom was a bit of an entrepreneur way back then. Decided she was going to open a ladies-only gym in our town, which was before the, the kind of the massive gyms were around. Um, and she got the idea from from going to to health spas, and she wanted it to be like that. And so I literally qualified in six weeks, came home met this woman and she went, Do you wanna run the gym? I'm opening it. Do you wanna run? And I so literally walked into a job. So that's why I'm saying it happened by accident. And and so I started to understand within the space of a literally a few weeks that to help people feel good. Um, And to lose weight, I needed to understand how they thought and their lifestyle habits. And that began my journey of understanding cognitive behavioral therapy and neurolinguistic programming before they were kind of really popular. Um, Because I wanted to help people whilst the whole time having my issues and pretending all was well. So that's how I kind of started. And that's 30 years ago this year. I qualified in 1991. So I've been teaching fitness classes and and personal training people. And I still do. I'm still doing it. I still love it. In fact, I think I love it more now than I did back then because I'm not so het up on how I look. I'm more het up now about how I can help my clients. So obviously, a massive shift in in me. But that's how I started. and, you know, over the years, my issues with food were kind of overtaken by alcohol. And for a long time, I was was battling both of them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Do you think you were subconsciously trying to help yourself by doing all of that stuff? Probably. Um, in hindsight, I would say absolutely. Yes, because I didn't know where to go to to get help. And, and you know, I'm sad to say that that's the same story these days. People don't know where to go to to get help because your GP tends to not be necessarily qualified in spotting the signs or asking the right questions that will help them to spot the signs. Most mm-hmm. people, let's be fair, if you've got a, an issue with alcohol or food, don't offer up the information usually willingly, because there's a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment around this stuff. And, and this is why I want to talk about it, because when you understand that it's not about willpower and there's not something wrong with you and you're not broken and you're not weird, that that there's actually reasons why you do what you do and why you use these foods and you can get over it, we can hopefully take away some of this stigma of of shame and guilt and being disgusted at our own behavior and thought patterns um but yeah I absolutely think you're right I'm sure there was a part of it trying to find out what what was going on for me and why why couldn't I sort myself out
0: so when did your drinking start
2: that's a really great question because I would always have said that it started in my late sort of teens around about 16 17 but that's a complete lie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a story that's a story that I think I told myself enough times that I actually believed it was true and um, because I remember getting drunk for the first time I was five. What? yeah my <laughs> i know and I liked it so my parents used to be in round table which i don't does a round table still exist these days Rotary I know definitely does I don't know around but anyway and um, it's it's about making money for charities and it's a real good excuse for people to get together and, and party a lot so uh, my parents had this party and they left all of the drinks cabinet out on the side so Sunday morning my brother and I get up and he decides to make me a concoction. <laughs> And he just pours in all of these spirits into a glass and tops it with Coke. And I drink it. And I have no idea how many things went into it. Not a clue. I just know that it was a good sort of average size tumbler full to the top. And I remember drinking it pretty much down in one and sitting on my bedroom floor, kind of going, oh, this feels quite nice. (laughs) I didn't know what it was. And then my grandparents had a pub. And so even from the age of sort of six or seven, as a treat, we would go and see them on a Saturday. And sometimes, not always, I would be allowed a baby sham. That's another thing. I don't know if it still exists. yeah. Um, Yeah. But as I got older, I used to stay overnight with them and um, I would sneak a baby sham. So my granddad would say I can have one. And then when he was busy and occupied, I'd go to my grandma and say, grandma, say, granddad says I can have a baby champ. So that was two. And then as the night wore on and it got busier, I would go to one of the bar staff and say, "Grandma and grandma are, are really busy, but they said I'm allowed to have a, a baby sham. So I would, I would lie and manipulate, even back as young as sort of 10, 11, to get alcohol. Right. Now, it took me to rehab to actually allow myself to go back there and remember this stuff but but that's the truth of it and I wasn't drinking of course all the time then but but so yeah it was always something that I was attracted to and once I'd had one I wanted more even back then mm, that's so interesting yeah. well,
0: there's, I think there's, there's a lot of sugar in alcohol that's yeah. like kids asking for sweets I know it isn't but like The addiction side of it is the sugar, isn't it?
2: It's the sugar, but it's also what it actually does to that reward center in your brain. Um, And we know now, because because I've obviously geeked out a lot in 30 years of being in this world of finding out what goes on, I understand a lot about genetic SNPs and receptors um, and understanding that, you know, there are some genes that if you've got a, a, a genetic SNP that can be that the receptors are very slow to actually metabolize alcohol or very fast, right? And you're not sure necessarily which is which. So there's definitely an element of, of genes going on there. And I do know from what my mum told me that when I was a very little baby, my auntie used to give me a teaspoon of Guinness. <laughs> so so obviously if those genes were switched on which they get either switched on or, or not through lifestyle it can kind of see why potentially if that if if it was already there that it was going to become an issue and this is why I say I know that it wasn't willpower there was so much else going on for me yeah wow yeah yeah It's a fascinating subject, but it really took over from the food when I started to do this crazy bargaining. And if anybody's listening who is like a cereal dieter or or has yo-yoed or done this kind of binging and then starving, and you you kind of make deals with yourself, and you and you go, well, if I if I if I drink a glass of wine, I won't Mm. eat a potato, or you know, I won't eat some a slice of bread or whatever it happens to be. And so I was swapping alcohol for food. And also, I started to feel really uncomfortable when I, was, when I was eating food. It was uncomfortable in my stomach, whereas liquid is not. So if I was telling myself I was getting calories from alcohol, then I didn't need to eat, did I? So I literally started to swap one from for the other. And then when you have too much to drink, then you lose your kind of resolve. And that's when you binge as well. And that I had the answer, What well, you know, have your cake and eat it. I would go shove my head down a toilet and having alcohol made throwing up that little bit easier. And so the cycle just escalated and escalated, you know, for many years. I didn't go to rehab till I was 35. And I'm talking I was 21 when when I was in the started out in the world of, of being in the gyms. So that's a long time. So would you say up
1: until that point you were functioning you were functioning and drinking pretty well at the same time?
2: Oh yeah, I would say so. Um I think it only really got out of hand uh in that final sort of 6 months to the point where I I wasn't functioning. But up right. to that point Ask other people, I'm not sure if they would say the same thing, but in my head, um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely was. I, was I, I went freelance two years into that job. I went freelance and, and started working in, in other clubs. I've never been I've been brought up as a Yorkshire lass who works. You know, I started working when I was 10 or 11. So I was working. I had my daughter. I was told I couldn't have kids. I had my daughter um, when I was in my second marriage. And we had a business as well um so I was running my fitness business he was in the world of restaurants no surprise that I went for somebody who had a restaurant (laughs) food and alcohol in one place again (laughs) legitimizing my desire to keep on in my process um and so yeah I functioned right the way through had my daughter became a single parent got through bankruptcy did all of that stuff all the time drinking all the time Mm -hmm. and and I was one of those morning drinkers. Marriage as well. Got married twice. Yes, so in your first
0: marriage, because you say that's when you were, because you had bulimia there as well, didn't you? Yeah. And then you had a severe alcohol dependency in your first marriage.
2: How did that escalate? Did that just come about trying to deal with your problems in it? Or? He was a big drinker and I didn't realise that I obviously migrated towards him because he enabled me. I didn't know it at the time, but but he was a big, big drinker. He was also a big gambler and, and he smoked a bit of weed now and again too. And so I was in that environment with him and his friends. And um, He was significantly older than me. I was very attracted to that. I wasn't happy at home. I'll go into details, but my parents split up. My mum was manic depressive. It's called bipolar now. Then it was called manic depression. And, and so my whole home environment wasn't great and I wanted to get out. He gave me an out. Um, so he was 35, I was 18, and right. right, and he drove a Porsche 911 with a target top, and he let me drive it, and we went into VIP lounges in nightclubs, and we were drinking champagne, and it was—I fell for the whole, you know, the whole ideal of this person, uh, mm. and I just got carried along, and we were together for two years before before we decided to get married in Barbados, which was fantastic, um, mm. and I thought, you know, I'd got it made, life was great. But reality was, I was kidding myself, um, and he was unfaithful. Uh, And I knew he was, but in my head, if we got married, he suddenly wouldn't be. Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) So, but that coincided with me then finding this course in London, because I knew the marriage was over. And it was one of those kind of points that we all have, don't we? Those kind of bullet points in our lives where things shift. And it was like, go to London, get this qualification, leave him. And then who knows? So then I met this other guy um, who again, I'd known, small town, people know people. Um, and so, you know, at that I just carried on with that same lifestyle. You know, I could sit in the restaurant, get fed nice food, drink freely for nothing, as much as I wanted. He was also an alcoholic. But I, I called him an alcoholic, never thinking that I was, because that's the mentality when you're in it you can't see it you're fine you can stop anytime you like you just don't want to stop that's the story um and if anybody is struggling I'm sure that is a familiar phrase that you've told yourself I just don't want to I can but I don't want to
0: I guess that was familiar with you growing up in pubs as well wasn't it um
2: yeah well yes it was and also yeah the whole kind of um my parents, that's what they did. My dad worked hard. It was a workaholic. I rarely saw him. Um, but when we did do things as families, it was within this group of roundtable people and they were play hard, work hard. That was, the, wow. that was the ethos. So it would be weekends, barbecuing, and they would be drinking all the time. And I've lost count of the amount of mornings that I heard my dad throwing up from the night before. Mm-hmm you know so I I was brought up in that if I said to him did he think he was an alcoholic he would absolutely say no in Mm. hindsight you know potentially yes he also drank you know socially but he but he drank to the point that it made him vomit so there was something going on there um so it wasn't unusual and it certainly wasn't frowned upon
0: so then after your second marriage you had your daughter hadn't you yeah and then you went into another relationship.
2: Yeah. So I had my daughter and I, and I left him uh, in the process at six months uh, pregnant. I had to I had to declare myself bankrupt, which was which was a heck of a thing. But uh, again, it was one of those kind of points in life where you have to make a choice. He wasn't going to get any better. His his son came to live with us when we got married the day we got married. Wow, yeah. His ex-wife basically said, "Congratulations," and and I know my son's been there. You know, uh, keep him. So, so that was, uh, yeah. So that was kind of a bit of a story. But he got tangled up in in drugs as a young teenager, and oh. my partner at the time and I was just like, I'd had to bail him out of um, being arrested or or held in the in the local police station, and my partner was too drunk to drive so I had to drive and I remember sitting outside on the balcony we lived in a flat opposite the business at the time and it was a beautiful canal it was a gorgeous night and I just remember thinking what are you doing you've got a little person growing inside of you you have to make some choices and so I I had to declare bankruptcy on the business he wouldn't do it he was adamant he wasn't going to do it so it was like I have to be the bigger person and do it. And, and I can't stay with them, him or in this whole destructive relationships. <laughs> so at 29, I went back to live with my mummy. <laughs> and how was that? Horrible. Ah! <laughs> yeah, really awful because she had her own illness. So she was. it was just yeah. so fraught and so stressful that um, I, I, I was sent away. To go stay in a caravan in the Lake District that my dad owned because I had such high blood pressure that my that my GP just said you just need to get out and get away from everything for a while, and um, which I, which you know what I did, but you know and I, and it's an awful thing to say and it, it, I always say I don't regret anything in life, but that's mm. not true. The the thing that I regret above anything else is the fact that throughout my pregnancy I was still drinking. Um, mm. And because of that, my daughter has got issues now that are definitely related to that. I mean, she's she's not obviously in any way disabled or anything, but she's got dyscalculia. She suffers very much with anxiety, and you know it, it's affected her massively. I she was six; it was her seventh birthday when I went into rehab, and. Although memories are not that sharp at that age, there are some things that are so powerful that she remembers. And I can't change that. And that's, you know, that's I'm very fortunate that our relationship is amazing and we can talk about everything and we do. Um, But, yeah, I was drinking throughout and just being. I always hoped that being pregnant would be enough for me to stop. And it wasn't. So, but yeah, I had her and then I met somebody else at my stepsister's wedding, and we had a commuting relationship for a long time uh, and eventually, after two and a half years, it was kind of like, so where is this going what what is happening?" Um, it was kind of a no-brainer. He worked for a big German bank um. And there was no way he was going to move to a small town in the north. So it was up to me to upstick and move everything. And um, So I did. I got rid of my business, my house um, and moved down here. And a northerner in London, that was an experience the first morning. I walked around the corner, right, where we where we lived, is bottom of Hampstead, a place called Belsize Park. For those people who don't know London, you've probably heard of Hampstead, it's just below that. And um, I walked around the corner to the local news agents on a Sunday morning, as I would normally do, to get a paper. And I walked in, I went, good morning. (laughs) Complete silence. And just three people in there (laughs) stared at me like I'd got four heads. And I was (laughs) like, okay and that was kind of bizarre so I didn't know who my neighbors were in the flats nobody knew nobody spoke and it was just like the weirdest thing and this guy who I thought I knew your long distance relationship basically (laughs) here's an A to Z here's a credit card you don't need to work and these are the hours I leave at seven in the morning I'll be home around about half nine ten at night and that was it I was like Okay, not quite what I expected. I was expecting dinners out and theatre and being shown London. None of that happened. And so I was like, that's when my drinking escalated because I was like, okay, I'm stuck. And I do remember making a phone call to my dad going, have you still got my house? Because it was rented, but he owned it. And, um, And he went, no, I've let it. You can't come back. I was like oh my God, I was stuck. So I found work in gyms. I thought I can't not work. It's just not who I am. Um, so I started to get some freelance classes in, in local gyms around me and um, still, still drinking the whole time, still functioning. Um, hiding it, I thought pretty, pretty well. And, and I must have done um, because that went on for a good five, seven years. Of me, you know, well, five years of me, of me, kind of carrying on, and I was drinking throughout the day, literally like intravenous drip, just drinking and drinking, not copious amounts, not getting drunk, but just all the time, just keep me going, and still this weird relationship with food, um, which I thought I, I kind of got over, but when I look back, I was still very much restricting certain things and very conscious Mm -hmm. of my weight which let's face it if you're a fitness instructor there's always going to be an element of that because you're looking at yourself in the mirror (laughs) a lot yeah yeah um so and it all basically came to a head um when that relationship went went pear-shaped and it went pear-shaped nastily uh I won't go into detail but but domestic abuse and violence was was part of 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 something that I went through and and rape um, but it's kind of one of those things that it needed to be part of my process and my story. And, and I met somebody else and, you know, long story short, he was married. He was never going to leave that person, which became obvious, you know, 12 months in. And that's when I really thought that's it now. I, I'm I'm at a loss. I don't know what else to do. And alcohol just became what I did because I couldn't see any way out. I, I didn't have the tools to help myself. I didn't know where to go to get help. I knew I'd got a huge problem. I just didn't know how to solve it. I'd heard of AA, in my head, stereotypical idea of what that meant. And I was so, again, still very arrogant, very grandiose. I'm not one of those people, (laughs) whatever those people are, which is absolutely ridiculous um, because all kinds of people from all walks of life are in AA and there is no those people. But that wasn't what my head was telling me. So I didn't, I just carried on because I didn't know what else to do. When did the turning point come? well i'm a great believer in the power of the universe and mm-hmm. um bank holiday weekends so Obviously, my parents separated in the school holidays it would be like one holiday mom one holiday dad if if it was a longer holiday both it was quite a nice road trip to go from london to the north so bank holiday the one coming up which will be my 16 years sober anniversary um oh. the end of may one but that end of May bank holiday, I was going up to see my parents, booked a hotel because neither parent wanted me to stay with them. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> Which can I kind of understand when you know your daughter's an alcoholic. It's not it's not wise. Um, and actually it was quite nice because it meant I, was, I could just leave whenever I wanted to. So I quite liked the arrangement. So we were going to go up, my daughter and I, and then the very last minute this guy I was with literally pulled up in the car and said, I'm coming with you. I said, what do you mean to come in with me? Now, by this point, I, I was literally, I, I'd have this in the car, right? One would be water, one would not. So I could literally, I'd move the suitcases and I just went, oh, I just need to get my water. I picked up the wrong one. One was full of gin and tonic, which obviously it's clear. Wine was my drink most of the time. But wine in a water bottle looks like piss. <laughs> <laughs> pretty obvious that it's not water. <gasps> So you need, I wasn't a big spirit drinker, except if I was driving. So, so this would be full of gin and tonic ready-made in a can. Right? I didn't have bottles of gin around the house. It was, and and so I could put three in a two liter bottle one. It was just about fit, picked up the wrong bottle. So we were on the motorway, four and a half hours, no alcohol whatsoever. And I started to suffer withdrawal symptoms that quickly because I'd been drinking so much for so long and, um, You know, uh, I was uh, by that point. I I think you know I was downing about three to four bottles of wine a day and functioning. So to suddenly go from that to nothing over time, Mm -hmm. it just it just escalated very steadily. And I always watered it down with soda, telling myself that made a difference. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so literally four hours started to have symptoms and then that weekend was just bizarre I started to hallucinate he said to me on the second day I think you better have a drink realizing that there was something wrong and I couldn't physically keep it down it came straight back up um and so that was actually the start of me stopping so I've not had a drink since that last drink before we set off in the car so we got back home to London eventually um and it was half term for my daughter, and I somehow thought she was going to school half term club. And I remember walking up to the school and I would got it completely wrong. And I was apparently wandering around in the high street. Somebody called an ambulance. I ended up going to the local hospital. I won't say which hospital it is because it was horrifically bad how they treated me. So I'm not not going to diss them because I think that was an unusual circumstance. But I ended up somehow walking home from the hospital, hallucinating, right? God knows how I got in. And so the next day, the person who I was with took me to my GP. And um, thankfully, she was amazing. And she just said, I'm going to make a phone call. You need to get her somewhere now. So she rang the Priory at Southgate. And within the space of 30 minutes, I was on my way and I was in. The next two days, I don't remember. Because And they told me afterwards that they were monitoring my heart rate and my blood pressure every 20 minutes because my heart, I was tachycardic anyway. For those people who don't know what that means, I've got a naturally low heart rate anyway. As a fitness instructor, that made it even lower because I was pretty fit physically. Um, And so my blood pressure just tanked. Uh, And because I'd stopped from such a high intake, from a, a brain damage point of view, there was no knowing what would have happened so when I came to and and the guy the psychiatrist was absolutely lovely and he said you know where you are I said yeah I do I said remember you're bringing me in I said I just you know the hallucinating bit of it was fascinating I'm such a geek I was so fascinated because I'm going, I know I'm hallucinating. This is weird. I can hear those voices, but I know there's nobody there. It was this weird conversation and stuff was moving in front of my eyes, which I knew wasn't real. But then I wasn't absolutely certain what was real and what wasn't. Bizarre, but fascinating. Um, And he said to me, uh, do you think you have a problem with alcohol? And I nearly laughed in the guy's face. And I was just like, but yes. But the weight that came off when I said that, And he said, so do you think you would like to follow this alcohol um, program that we have? And I just went, tell me what to do. Because I finally was somewhere where somebody could show me what to do, could help me. And and that's what I'd not had access to, because I didn't know how. So I was your typical goodie. I did whatever they said. I was like, because I didn't know any, I just wanted to know how to live without alcohol. And he was brilliant. The guy who was running it at the time was actually from Yorkshire. So we got on really well. And he said, hey, Vic, if you go home now with the circumstances the same, you will relapse. He said, your body cannot handle a relapse. You will die. <laughs> okay, So we wow. suggest that you go to South Africa to a place called Stepping Stones, which they had an affiliation with. But there is also a secondary residential place attached to that, which meant being away for two months. Now, I, my logical brain would have gone, I can't do that. I can't leave my daughter for two months. It's impossible. I'd already left for a month while I was in the Priory. You know how sometimes it's like you're not there. Somebody else. Answers, and I heard this voice going, yes. And I remember mm-hmm. kind of going, who said that? Oh, it was me because I knew that this was my chance. And if I didn't take it, God only knows what would have happened. So I went and thankfully my my uncle, my mum's a twin and and her brother has been amazing throughout my whole journey. And we are still so close and he is really close with my daughter. It's it's an amazing relationship. But I wouldn't be here without his support um, and the fact that this guy could see that I needed more help. So I literally learned to live alcohol-free, but it's while I was there that I was taught about the physical relationship with exercise and neurotransmitters and the brain. And I went, why does nobody know this stuff? Why aren't we taught this? How do we not know? Why doesn't the world know? So that's when I really got my teeth stuck into finding all about how the brain works and the power of exercise to change how you feel and think. Um, and you know, when you come back, like, I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna tell everybody. It's uh-huh. not the reality, is it? But I had to question then, do I still want to be a fitness instructor? Is that what I should do? And I wasn't sure. But I didn't go to university. And I thought, now's my chance to maybe do that and graduate. So I decided to become a teacher and teach people how to be personal trainers. And then I got the bug. Uh, and I thought you know what I might as well go on to do my master's in addiction psychology so because when I got home from South Africa I went through the 12-step program had an amazing sponsor helped people then go through the 12 steps so I've taken a lot of people through the 12 steps of AA and 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 I was just like you know what how do you do something like this and I happened upon a life coaching seminar which again life coaching wasn't even a thing then was it even called life coaching I'm not sure but I went and I spoke to the lady and I said reminiscent how do you do what you do I want to do what you do and she said well what will your niche be and I went my what and I said well how people live their lives and she's sure Sh- you going to be a lifestyle coach I went yes I'm going to be a lifestyle not even knowing if it was a thing And and that's really how I kind of got into this whole wellness and and understanding the power of of daily choices and how everything affects everything from the thoughts that we think to the language that we use to the choices that we make with our diet and how we exercise and all of the myths I managed to bust that I was taught when I was a personal trainer. And I didn't last long teaching people to become personal trainers because I realized I was teaching them lies. (laughs) It was out of alignment with me. And I remember doing the nutrition part of the paper and I'm going, right, guys, this is what the answer is for the exam board. This is what the actual answer is. (laughs) And I was like, I can't do this. It is just like so out of alignment. But this this is why we've got such a problem now with food and with dieting, because this stuff is still being taught that is based on out of date pseudoscience. And we now have so much research that is up today, and yet in qualifications that people are studying, they're still talking about stuff from 1999 and 2004. And it's like, hello, we're in 2021. Why are we not looking at the research from 2018 and 2019 that is available Because the simple reason is that the qualifications have to then go to the board to be approved. And that can take two years. So that information is already two years out of date. And then that qualification will stand for maybe 10 years. So so that somebody going in when it's been that same paper, same syllabus for 10 years is now 12 years out of date. And this is what happens with with your GP training. That's why most of them are at least 12 to 15 years out of date of current research. because. That's what they're taught. And you can't keep up with redoing the syllabus all of the time. So unless you've got a really hot GP who is has the time, and let's face it, they don't, to, to read the research papers like Geek here does, they're not going to, to know what is the the, the science that we're up to date with and um, and this is why we've got this problem with people looking at me and other health coaches are going "Well, you don't know as much as my GP and it's like flip it it's the other way around we mm-hmm. probably know more because we're more up to date and we have more time to be up to date than your GP who at the moment let's face it in the pandemic is just inundated with getting through the day mm-hmm. they're not going to go home and start reading up-to-date research papers they're just mm-hmm. not um so yeah that's that's kind of how I got into this and then the disordered eating side of it was something that my own health coach basically said to me don't you think it's time you started to actually do the thing that you know the most yeah, well, that's the gift, isn't it? I mean, you've got so much experience. And I know, it's just like, yeah, I know. But I, I still felt that I didn't know enough about how to help people really with the disordered eating. Um, and actually, it wasn't that. It was just me and imposter syndrome, not believing right. in myself. Um, but I knew that I there was a the missing bit for me. And because of the alcohol issues... My main my main issue, my reason in my head for telling myself I wasn't good enough was because I'm really rubbish at remembering things. So it has affected my memory. There's no doubt the alcohol is right. doing that. Um, and so, you know, if, if somebody, if you like ask me now, what's a really good source of B vitamins? I can't just tell you like that. I would mm. have to go and, and have a look because I just, I can't remember it. And that was me saying that I can't, I can't do it because I don't, I, I'm not good enough. But actually, I came across the lady who who actually wrote the Eating Freely program, and she was the one. I went along to her masterclass purely and simply to find out if I did know enough for my own ego. And I'm going, oh, I know that. And she's teaching that. I do that already. And I know this. And I'm like, oh, I do know enough. And so I spoke to her, and she sort of said, yeah, as a coach, you've got so much more to offer than than. People who do this who are psychiatrists because you can actually give your clients the whole program, whereas normally they split it with a nutritional therapist and a psychotherapist, so they cover all of the stuff that needs to be covered. But I can do all of that, plus I know the yeah. exercise and I understand Reiki and essential oils and breath work and all of the stuff that that helps to cement the practicalities of putting this stuff into play. And she'd done the work that I was struggling with, which was what to include in what order that I knew worked and I kind of went oh my god I can do it now (laughs) I can actually step into my purpose because now I feel confident that the stuff I'm doing is the right pieces that will get people to where they need to be and that's why I I kind of now finally feel (laughs) after 30 years in the wellness world feel confident that I actually do know my stuff and I can help people to get free from these issues that you know we need to take the shame and the guilt away from because it's your brain it's your thinking it's to do with your trauma and your life experiences your interpretations of stuff and we can work through all that and you can come out the other side so you must be
1: so busy I mean, you're a, you're like a dream. I mean, you've got it all going on
2: in one. Do you know what? I, I'd love to say that I am. Um, it's a case of this is a program where if somebody wants to do it, it's not like jumping on a quick fix, 12-week, lose a stone kind of thing. This is not a weight loss thing. This is a life-changing transformation. And you will become a different person at the end of it. You have to be absolutely ready yeah. to go all in and to do whatever it takes. Like I explained I was in rehab, whatever, to just tell me what to do because I've had enough. Mm. I can't do this anymore. If you're there, then it's it's for you. But if if you're not ready, if you don't believe that you can ever be free, then the chances are you're not even going to seek me out. Right. So it has to be somebody who wants to get well because they've just had enough and they just don't want to be where they're at, feeling like they're feeling in their own heads anymore. And that takes a, a lot of guts and a lot of courage to say, I'm there, help. Because of, as a, of this, the stigma and the shame yeah. of, of saying to somebody, I am not in control. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a heck of a thing. Um, and you and it does take courage and it takes a big leap of faith. So because we don't trust ourselves. When we're in it, we do not trust ourselves because we're consistently and continuously setting ourselves targets and we consistently and continuously fail when we're in the midst of addiction and obsession. And so our narrative is, I never do what I say I'm gonna do. So the thought process is "I'm I'm not gonna be able to do this either. So it's it's, people have to give themselves that smidgen, that modicum of just maybe possibly I can to even allow themselves to reach out and have a conversation. Uh, So the answer to your question is I'm not massively busy. I am nicely busy and I'm helping the people who are ready and who need my help. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who are holding themselves back because they're terrified of what it might mean to give up this stuff because it's like in your head you can't even imagine what it's like to live without these things because you've never experienced it and it's really hard to visualize something Mm -hmm. that you've never ever seen or felt before and that's scary shit. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And so a lot of people are just not prepared to go there and they would rather stay in the pain and the discomfort yeah. and the familiarity of what's going on unless something major happens like a, a big health scare or a partner leaves or something happens that forces them to actually face what's going on and and makes them have that pivotable point. Like that's why I'm so grateful for coincidence for me was honestly don't know where, well, I don't think I'd be here if that hadn't have happened. And so I'm very aware that all of the people who do come to me, I am so grateful that they have had that thought that just maybe possibly I can be different.
0: I'm looking at your day now uh, because we asked you to give us a brief version of what your day looks like. It must be so different um, how you live this mo- like in this moment in the days that you have yeah. compared to that time. Like um, you, say, you say, every morning now, you get up at 5.45, don't you? Yeah. And now you you set your intentions. And we hear this often and a lot, and Liberty always, we always talk about this, don't we? But, but it just shows you the power of doing this kind of stuff though, I think. If that's, you know, you set your intentions, and you go through your emails, you have your drink, um, you know, you, you do a lot of walking outside, um, you've got work in between, and then you've put like mother and daughter time for dinner. That's obviously something that is really important to Powerful. you. Powerful, yeah.
2: Don't ask me to have an appointment with you on Zoom at eight o'clock at night. It's not happening. <laughs>
0: That's
1: so lovely. Is the mother
2: and
0: time something that you're making up for? What is that? Do you have you always done that? Even when you were,
2: I, I think part of me is, in a way, I suppose it is making up for. So when I was building my fitness business, and when when finally I got rid of the the final guy in my life, and there hasn't been one since. Um, <laughs> obviously I was I was studying, but I was a single parent who I was on income support at the time, and there's a lot of, in my head. There was a lot of shame and stigma around that, and I wanted to not be getting handouts from the government. So my goal was to not be on income support anymore. So I was trying to build my business. And that because I was teaching fitness classes, because that's what I knew. And I set up community classes, as well as being freelance in in clubs. I I was working one evening, and then I was busy, and I was working two. And then there were more people who wanted more classes, I was working three, and I got to the point I was working four evenings a week. Um, and so rarely spending any evenings with my daughter and weekends and so now I'm like it's about as my heart attack was that another pivotable point where I went what are you doing well, the heart attack was
0: three years ago wasn't it so it's not that long ago but that's from all the years of yeah eating and yeah, drinking.
2: absolutely. So alcohol just annihilates your gut lining. And so I got leaky gut, which was a massive thing that contributes and is, is a huge issue with my Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune issue with, with your thyroid. Um, but that also means that your body's not absorbing what it should and, and stuff's not going where it should. So you get calcium going up into your bloodstream, which shouldn't be there. And that's what caused the blockage in the heart. Um, but obviously a combination of stress. There was, there was multiple factors. There's never, there's never ever just one factor when it comes to health right? Everything is kind of a culmination of stuff. So I knew that I was heading for a heart attack. It was genetically, my dad had heart issues. His, It's on my dad's side. It actually is on my mum's side too, when I think about it. So, uh, and I'd already had a blood test two years before that, that cl- the, the guy clearly said, you are heading for a heart attack and diabetes. Oh, by the way, you've got Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but that's when I learned how to do blood testing and find out because I wanted to know how he could see that from a blood test, but that's another story. So, so yeah, I think, you know, that that heart attack was when I took the opportunity to take stock and go, stop. What do you actually want to do and what is giving you quality of life? And Mm -hmm. that's when I decided that I did not want to work every evening and when i made the choice to just say right guys this is what i'm doing i'm cutting it down to two evenings a week with a view to that becoming one and that is what i've stuck to so i teach a tuesday night tonight i teach one pilates class from teaching four nights a week and through lockdown i've also made the decision that i am not going to go back to my freelance classes in the gyms either just not doing it because i'm having far too much fun doing it online (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm comp- I'm really focusing on my on my clients. So yeah, there's been a complete change and a complete swi- switch. And this whole lockdown has actually, you know, been been good for me. I know it's been horrific for a lot of people, but for me, it's allowed me to do stuff that I was telling myself I didn't have time to do. And that's work on my coaching business and helping people that I know I really need to help and I can help. So I am still doing my fitness, but it's no longer. The priority. Um something I enjoy. It's something I love. It's something that people enjoy doing with me, and that's fab. But I'm not working to make that any bigger. And and yeah, mother and daughter time is just so so important.
0: I think when you talk about the heart attack, though, it's like a I just had a heart attack, and then
2: I know. Well, I know I do not make it sound like that, don't I? But <laughs> I knew that. that I was when you're expecting something, and and it kind of does happen. Uh, and also, I think it's important to let people know when a, when a woman has a heart attack, it's not what you expect. You think you know left left arm and pain and stuff. No, I I didn't feel very well. I thought I was coming down with a sore throat and a virus, right? And I and I thought, oh, it was a Saturday morning, and and I got up at like half past four and I thought, oh, it's half past four. Oh, I haven't got a client first thing. I think I'll have a lie in. I don't feel great. Went to the bathroom. Thought I feel a bit strange. Like, maybe I'm going to faint, right? Came out of the bathroom, felt all right, didn't make it through the kitchen. I live in a Victorian house where the bathroom is through the kitchen. It's on the ground floor. And, and I didn't make it through the kitchen. So I passed out and I smacked my head open on the on the door frame. And it came to and I was like, okay, that was weird. I knew I wasn't feeling very well. I didn't realize the damage that I'd done. So I didn't know I'd had a heart attack. And I- it's not what you'd think a heart attack was actually and and I had no clue, and it's really interesting, especially women because obviously I was like the first thing I did, I got upstairs, I made it upstairs because I was like came to, stood up in the kitchen, thought, I'm going to phone again, no, I'm all right. So I went upstairs, and then I didn't make it into my bedroom fully. I passed out a second time. And that's, poor my daughter, bless her, she, she found me. Um, and I came to prop myself up on the bed. The first thing I did was get my blood pressure monitor because my brain went straight to heart attack because I thought, oh, my blood pressure must have just dropped. That's why I fainted. Everything was normal. My heart rate was normal for me. My blood pressure was normal for me. So my brain went, well, it, well it's, not, it's not that then. Uh, she's going, mom, your head. I can see the bone and, I, and I'm going Saturday morning I don't want to go to a and it'd be a nightmare and then my head's going I think I'll drive myself to Finchley Memorial later <laughs> she's like oh. mom you serious so I said I tell you what I don't really want to go I was really thirsty and I was drinking and that's the only symptom and I could I, I just felt that my throat was sore and so she said, Well, I said, i tell you what, I'll ring 911 and see what they suggest. And as soon as I said, I feel like I've got a sore throat and I'm really thirsty, but the thirst is not going. She just went, An ambulance is on its way. So she obviously knew that that was one of the signs. I had no clue. So when we got to um, the Royal Free and he kind of, you know, did the echogram and he just went, You've had a heart attack. And I just, I just you're jerky. <laughs> he said, No. And I went, Show me. Because I, I wanted to see. And he said, there. And I went, oh, yeah. And, of course, I was still like, well, obviously, I'm all right. So now what do we do? And he said, well, we need to get a stent in. And it was the ambulance driver. Who went, he said, you know, this kind of thing on a head. Do you want to just check that she's not concussed before you start doing any kind of operation? <laughs> and he was like, Oh yeah. And it literally they they did that. I was fine. And then they they put the stent in there and then and, and the guy was talking to me as he was doing it because I'm going, and I want to know what you're doing, what's happening, and so forth. And and so I, I feel like when I do talk about it, it's blase, but I didn't, I didn't feel ill, it wasn't scary, I didn't think that I was having a heart attack. And they just dealt with it so efficiently as well it wasn't a big issue and then I was in the hospital for a couple of days and that was it so that was on the Saturday morning I was home on the Monday um and and I was fine you know so did I expect it yes was it as I expected when I had it no the the scary bit was afterwards because unfortunately the follow-up was 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 rubbish um was really poor and unfortunately I know what I'm doing so I kind of, you know, made sure that I went exercised and I was walking, but there's still a bit of fear and it's afterwards that I think people need a bit more guidance and a bit more help because you're like, you feel a bit wobbly on your feet and you're not quite sure what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And, and it's that dare I push myself, Ooh, a little bit scary. So coming back from that was when I said to my, my classes, look, I can teach you, but I'm not doing it. Mm. and they were like that's fine well that's when your skills as a really good instructor come out when you can tell people exactly what to do without you having to do any of it
1: <laughs> well there was an incredible picture on your instagram of your body that's when I was reading that you would had I was like Kat has I had a heart attack and it was you saying I'm getting a bit of definition back I was like oh my god look at her body <laughs> you're certainly you might not have been feeling well but you're certainly looking well the yeah. other thing that really strikes me is your ability to be in a really dark situation but know that it's time to move on so all the time you've been talking about yourself and being I was in this relationship or I was here but I knew I needed to be there or and all the time you're saying you know all the time I was drinking or all the time but despite all of that you've got this clarity of thought and this sort of instinct not just to survive it but I knew I had to move on to thrive and that's Really,
2: that's really something that really strikes me about you. This is where I was never kind of a woo, what I would call a woo-woo type of person. But I can't deny that there is a power of something that is bigger than me. Do I know what it is? No, I'm not a religious person. I don't choose to call it God. And and that's why I had a bit of an issue with the whole rehab and 12 steps, because they use the God word a lot. And my sponsor Mm. was brilliant. And she just said, just look at it as a power bigger than you. I can handle that. You don't Mm -hmm. need to know what it is. You don't need to give it a name. Just know that there is something that is bigger than you. And whatever that something is has allowed me to keep on moving. And I believe that we all have it. We just don't necessarily know how to tune in and to listen to it. And somehow, I don't know how, I was able to do that when it mattered. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, you know, I do so believe and that's why I went to try the plant medicine in Colombia, um, you know, in my 50th year to just explore that side of things a bit more. And I'm very drawn to Reiki and, and because energy and, and all of that, it, I, I bring all of that into what I do because I wouldn't be here without that. There's something that has allowed me to be here still. Mm -hmm. and and so I've got to stay tuned in and this is where gut instinct I think comes in it's not always logical what you what is the next step but somehow if we just go with it you know and this is why one of my favorite sayings ever my class people will be sick of hearing me say it but but it's so true you never know till you have a go right (laughs) you never know
0: (laughs) (laughs) saying when you say my healthcare, my self-care um, and I tune my my what my body is telling me most of the time. And I think how amazing, like, what Liberty has just been saying, is that, you you know, you've come through so much. And if you think about, I mean, your story is fascinating because it's you as a child all the way through battling this addiction, battling, you know, quite a lot of different things. But you have, it's like you've got this kind of warrior thing in you and you were like, right, what do I have to cut down next? And when, when does this forest ever end? You know, like, but I, actually where you are now sounds... Wonderful. It sounds like you've got to a place where, you know, you can now finally what you are telling the people who come to you, you're telling them your truth now, aren't you?
2: Absolutely. And I believe that all of this stuff has happened for a reason. And it's not for me to just hold on to it. It's for me to be able to share and say to other people, this has happened to me and it might be happening to you and it's OK to talk about it. Let's not keep this stuff inside because, you know, I I now understand so much more about what went on with my dad and his illness and why it it went the way it did. I understand that my mum's diagnosis was probably incorrect, but I couldn't do anything about it at the time. All of this stuff is important for me to share because if I can be just one of the cogs in the wheel, that helps us to change our attitude to mental health, physical health, and stop putting the barriers up between the two and just look at whole health and that medication is not the answer. If that's my biggest message, stop looking to be fixed by medication and start looking within Then and talking about feelings. They're not bad. They're not good. You don't disapprove of them. You don't necessarily agree. Feelings are just feelings, and we are allowed them. Share them without fear of judgment, that is the overriding message. And if I can get that across to school children, to doctors, to parents, and we can start to change this whole social conditioning that that this is the way it's always been, so this is the way we should keep doing it, let's just blow that into the ether. And we've had the opportunity to start doing that with a pandemic. And I, for one, will be so upset if we all just reverts back to how it was, because that would be such a shame that we've missed a yeah. massive opportunity globally to change yeah. the narrative. And I just hope to God that that things will change. But something is keeping me in that whatever that is that keeps moving me on for the next thing, because we're all here for something. I don't know what it is. But what I'm doing right now feels like what I should be doing right now. And that's good enough for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's been so lovely having you on as a guest today, Vicky. And we love your honesty um, and everything about you. I always think that you're very, very inspiring. And I love where your stories come to today. Um, How can people find you if they want to?
2: So people can find me on my website, which is just VickyMidwood.com. I am on Facebook as Vicky Midwood and the addiction, The I think my page is the addiction and disordered eating eliminator because I couldn't fit the word alcohol on, ran out of characters. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as VickyMidwood.com as well. I am on Instagram as Vicky underscore Go Figure Coaching. Uh, and yeah, I'm on YouTube as well. Fitness Finchley with my exercise stuff and and Vicky Midwood with all my other stuff.
0: And and it is all very inspiring. Um, You know, even with you helping people for the food side of it as well, that's to help people with food in general who battle diets throughout the whole of the life as well. So do have a look at what Vicky's got to offer because it is all very helpful. We know people who are doing it and we just think she's amazing. She's come through so much. But to say that this woman has never let herself be stuck is genuinely true. She's just literally come through all of this stuff, and where she is today is at her very best. And we wish you so much love and luck, Vicky, because you do do so well. You are really inspiring.
2: Thank you so much. And thank you both for having me. It's been a oh,
1: I can't wait to meet you one day when we're allowed face to face. I just want to give you a big hug. You're so lovely. <laughs> me too. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Welcome.
2: Bye. Bye.